Jesus is. Man, if, you, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, one of the things I think that you will <clears throat> quickly pick up is that we try and try and try hard to make a lot of noise about Jesus Christ because we really do believe that he is. He's the answer to all problems. Uh, Jeremiah quoted uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where he said he's the image of the invisible God. Wow, that just abruptly stopped. <laughs> Uh, he's the image of the invisible God but if you keep going that verse goes on to say that all things were created listen to this by him but it was created through him and for him in other words everything that chair you sit on the coffee you sipped on this morning uh, the people you've interacted with this morning all things were created by Jesus Christ but it was created for Jesus Christ in other words he's the agent of creation but he's also the goal of creation and so we worship that person. We worship that king because he's worthy of our worship. Well, I am excited to be here this morning, delighted to be gathered with God's people, worshiping Jesus Christ. This morning, I got up early, early this morning uh, before the sun started to, uh, started to come up, and I was heading downstairs. I have a small little office in the basement, and so I was heading downstairs to the basement to do some praying this morning, and as I was going down, I passed my front door, and in my front door, there's a, a little window cut out and you could see like the dawning of a new day this morning. And as I was going down, Psalm 118, uh, verse 24 hit me like clearly. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And I just, I, one simple question. Y'all are very quiet this morning, despite Jeremiah jumping all around on the stage. Y'all are quiet this morning. One question I have is, are you excited that the Lord gave you another day? Here's the reality. For some reason, we think that we're privileged, like he, we deserve to have another day. When in reality, he didn't have to give you another day. In fact, some of the stuff you've went through this week alone should have taken you out. You should have been plumb crazy, but this is the day the Lord has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. Well, we are coming off the heels of a great, great, great Rock the Park celebration. Uh, it was a good time of being able to gather. One of the things uh, our church is passionate about is not just gathering here on Sunday mornings, but actually getting out and doing life in the community. We do not believe it, 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 it is a us versus them. We believe that it's us, period. And so we want to be in the community uh, and we want to be engaging people in the community, talking to people, showing the love of Christ. There are times where the proclamation of the gospel can't go forth, but the demonstration can. So our lives should pattern what the gospel looks like. And so being able to give out free haircuts and, uh, and do free back-to-school physicals and uh, free popcorn, free food, free cotton candy. Lamique still got cotton candy in her hair. For us being able to do all of that stuff, actually, she got it done last night, so she don't got no cotton candy this morning. But being able to do all of those things really provides us the opportunity to love on our community because we do not believe our community and the people in the community are projects to be worked on. We believe they're people that Jesus loves, and so we should love on them as well. So we're grateful to be able to do what we do. Thank you for all of our volunteers, anybody that has picked up a chair. If you, if you moved anything, amen, thank God for you. 
we are grateful for you. Uh, also want to just give a quick shout out to uh, two of our partner churches that uh, came up just to help us to get the thing uh, moving yesterday. Our, our uh, partners are from Evansville, Indiana and from Apex, North Carolina, from Crossroads Christian Church and from Salem Baptist. So can we thank God for our partners? Amen. I also would be remiss if, if I didn't uh, show some love and shout out a couple of people that didn't just volunteer, but really oversaw the entire event yesterday, the outreach yesterday. Uh, and that's Gabe. Y'all make some noise for Gabe. He's back there sitting in the window. Somebody take a picture of him. He looks like he's Instagram ready back there. Amen. But uh, he, he did a, a lot of work. And, and I promise you, nobody gets a harder time from me than Gabe. Uh, and so I, I'm grateful for him and for all of the work he did. I actually have been on vacation for the last two weeks. And so yesterday when I came back was my first day coming off of vacation to see everything was uh, in place. Uh, I'm grateful for him and also Tasha as well. Y'all show some love for Tasha. Amen. She ran around and she did uh, stuff to get things together. I was up at the precinct, was uh, getting food and all that together, getting the DJ and everything together. So I'm grateful for her. And Lanisha as well, she ran up and did some stuff as well. So thank you. Amen. Well, listen, before we get into the word of God, I, I told you guys last week that uh, I, I have a, not even a, a small announcement, but a pretty big announcement today that I wanted to make to you. But before I make the announcement, let me go all the way back to uh, the beginning of our church and how we started. So I'll do this quickly. In 2015, in, in May of 2015, we did our first vision gathering. Our vision gathering is just a time where we got people together. We did some, some music, some poetry. Uh, we uh, got food and we just cast vision and said, this is why we think the Lord is calling us to plant a church in this neighborhood. And uh, that, that went over really well. We did it in May. We did it in uh, June as well of 2015. And then September 6th of 2015, we started to do uh, formal Bible studies. And so we did those weekly. We were meeting. Anybody remember on Tompkins Avenue? We was meeting at the little event spot on Tompkins Avenue. And uh, just trying to, man, cast vision and continue to be consistent to the word of God. And uh, the Lord grew the church at that time. And so we knew we needed to move into public uh, a public church, public services on Sunday mornings. And so in 2016, March of 2016, uh, we launched our church and we launched into full gatherings. Well, to fast forward a couple months later, we ended up getting this space. We kind of outgrew the space we were in. Um, it was a small little spot called the Voodoo Lounge. Y'all remember that? We were wheeling bars out, sweeping up Ciroc bottles uh, just so we could get uh, some time in the word of God. And so we launched our church and was meeting at the Voodoo Lounge. We knew that we needed another church. We ended up finding this space. It was an old curves building, so we had to do a lot of renovations. It took us a few months to get that done. Uh, but actually, as I was thinking about it this morning, next week will mark one year that we're actually in this building. So, yeah, amen. And... Uh, I mean, the Lord's been faithful here. We have Young Life that meets in this building on every other Friday night, about 20 to 30 young people from Bed-Stuy. Janelle that did our announcements is uh, the Young Life director here in Bed-Stuy. And so she gathers youth here and we engage them with the gospel. 
and, and we meet here on Sunday mornings. We also do Bible studies here. We have offices, small offices that we have set up here to make sure we're working and do counseling and everything runs right from this building. So God really afforded us a, a great opportunity to get this space. And it really says to the community that we're secure. We're here. We're not going anywhere. We've planted our church here. Uh, but since the beginning of this year, I haven't let a lot of people in on this, but I've been sensing a need to try to draw more people. As you can tell, if you look around this room, uh, it's getting tighter and tighter. And, and sometimes we have people that literally are standing on the walls. And so uh, it hurts my heart to see that uh, people don't have seats. And so I was saying, man, how can we create more space in here? So as you can tell, we cannot knock down any walls. There's no more renovations we can do to make more room in here. And so what we will be doing starting October 1st, which is the first Sunday in October, we will be moving from one service to two services. Amen. And that is a big deal for us. You know, a few things happen when you move to two services. Number one, we get to preach the gospel message of Jesus twice on a Sunday. Uh, and just for conviction purposes for you, if you say, no, I'm not going to church, you actually got to say no twice. <laughs> you got to say no twice now. Before you could just say no once, but now you got to wake up, hit the snooze and wake up again and be like, I'm still not going. Uh, and so, uh, but it gives us room to clear this room out and actually fill it up again with more people. Another opportunity just to see the church go. Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. And he has been faithful to do that. And uh, so we want to create more opportunities to engage people. So the times just logistically, and you'll hear more about this before October 1st comes, the times for the services will be 10 a.m. and 1145. So our services typically run about an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes to an hour and a half. And so we'll do that 10 o'clock service at a very tight time to be done by 1130. Get a new group of people in here to have another service at 1145. More details will come out on that. We'll uh, have a video out on social media just to cast a little bit more vision of why we're doing this. And we'll also put out a survey, a small little survey that will say, uh, what time would you typically, what time would, do you think you would come to service? Would you come to the 10 o'clock? Would you come to the 1145? Uh, and so uh, brace yourselves. It is coming. Nothing is happening the month of September, but October 1st, be prepared that we will be moving to two services. Are you guys excited? Because I am. <laughs> Amen. Well, Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we as a church believe that uh, the way God speaks to us is through his word. The primary way God speaks to us is through his word. So if you guys would indulge me, grab your Bibles. Uh, we're a young church, so I know y'all are grabbing phones instead of Bibles. So grab whatever you have, whatever contains the word of God for you, your device, your, your Bibles, and run over to the book of Luke. I mentioned to you guys that we will be taking a break from the book of First Peter. For those of you who are first-time visitors here, we've been going through all of the book of First Peter. When I say that, I literally mean line by line and verse by verse. We try not to skip anything. Um, and uh, I mean, it, it just became very clear that we needed to take a month off, a little bit over a month off because of vacations and so many things that were going on this month. Uh, we will not start First Peter until September. So we will be in Luke today doing a standalone sermon. There's a lot to do in a short amount of time to do it in. So I'm going to just jump right in. Uh, meet me in verse 38. Familiar passage for some of you. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. 
Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him talking about Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Watch this arrogant statement. Tell her to help me. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Martha, excuse me, Mary has chosen a good portion and it will not be taken away from her. I want to preach today from the topic entitled spiritual priorities, spiritual priorities. Let us pray this morning. Father, this morning we gather ourselves uh, both to be encouraged and convicted by your word. Some of us will walk out of here and say amen, and some of us will walk out of here and say ouch. And both are appropriate this morning. Would you get at us through the text? Help us to sift through uh, how we are serving, how we have our priorities. Are we Martha or are we Mary in the text? This text has, it's not just gender specific to women, but all of us in this room have a hint of Martha in us. All of us have a hint of Mary in us. Help us to see our priorities. Ultimately, Lord, we pray that Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. Say it all the time, but woe unto me if I preach not the gospel message of Jesus Christ. For your gospel is the, the power of God for salvation, first to the Greek and then to the Jew. So meet us today in your word. Convict us, encourage us. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen. Amen. Spiritual priorities. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, what are your spiritual priorities? And don't answer. That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> We'll get the answer by the end of the text. Uh, March 12th of 1488, a Portugal explorer by the name of Bartholomew Diaz uh, became the first person to set sail on a body of water that was at the southern tip of Africa. It's actually uh, the dividing point between the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean and the Indian Ocean. And this particular body of water is known for its rough waves and it's known for its severe storms. And after Diaz sailed on it, he appropriately named that body of water the Cape of Storms. Later, that same body of water, not a different one, the same body of water was sailed on by a guy named John II of Portugal. And he actually renamed it to the Cape of Good Hope. He renamed it, which is crazy because John II would have experienced the same rough waters that Bartholomew Diaz has. One body of water, two different outcomes, two different perspectives on the same body of water. In our text this morning, we have two different ladies that are both in the same situation. Jesus is in the house and so is Mary. Jesus is in the house and so is Martha. But Mary and Martha have two different perspectives on why Jesus is in the house. One of them views the situation as a situation that requires work. And the other one views the situation as a situation that requires rest. Question on the table is, which one are you in the text? Are you Mary or are you Martha? And so just to keep in context with where we are, Jesus and his disciples, not just Jesus, but the 12, his boys are with him because they are traveling on their way to Jerusalem. 
and they decide to stop in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. That doesn't sound far. Why not keep going? But just remember, they didn't have cars in those days. So they had to walk this extra two miles. And so they decided to set up shop in Bethany for a day. And as they are in Bethany, a woman named Martha decides to invite Jesus and the boys over for dinner. Now, this party was, was, was a, a very uh, extravagant party, if you will. And the reason it was an extravagant party, because of who the dinner guest was. Mary and Martha are having Jesus over the house. Like, set the scene here. I'm sure Mary and Martha would have walked through the house. They would have cleaned the house and did one last cleaning. I'm sure they put their focus on the kitchen. And when they put their focus on the kitchen, they probably unpacked the bags from the market of the food and they would have pulled out the cooking utensils. And then they would have started to cook the food. And somewhere before Jesus got there, the house would have filled up with some good smelling aromas, some herbs from the food that they were cooking. And then somewhere where they're putting the finishing touches on the meal, there's a knock on the door and it's Jesus and the 12 disciples. Now, the question on the table is what is going on in the house when Mary and Martha see Jesus and the disciples come in? Why don't you pick me up in verse 38? And this is how we do at the church. We literally read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. And so we'll walk through these verses uh, slowly and try to see if we can get all that we can out of it. Verse 38. Now, as they went up on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Just as we said when uh, I was before you, the last time I was before you, we talked about Jesus being invited to a different dinner. Remember, he was invited to the dinner at the ruling Pharisee's house. And we said the ruling Pharisee had bad motives of why he invited Jesus. But nevertheless, inviting Jesus to the house is a good gesture. Inviting Jesus to your home is a good thing. And so we're not beating Martha up right now. She is doing a good thing. But Jesus, inviting Jesus to your house is not like inviting your friends to your house. You invite your friends to your house, you typically have to clean up every single room. And y'all know how we do. If we don't clean up every room, we close them doors <laughs> so you can't see the dirty rooms. I kid you not, one time my wife and I were selling our house. We were living in the outskirts of Philadelphia and we were selling the house and it was uh, one day my wife wasn't home and I let the dishes pile up when she wasn't home. Nobody was home. It was just me. And the realtor called and said, hey, I'm five minutes away and I got some people that want to see the house. And so I did what every man in my position would have did without their wife. I took those dirty dishes and I put them inside the oven and I shut the oven up. <laughs> and I prayed that the people that were looking at the house didn't open that oven. But Jesus is so unique. Inviting Jesus to the house doesn't give us that anxiety. Inviting Jesus, even if Jesus comes to the house... Jesus will open up the, the, the stove and pull out the dirty dishes. He won't take a picture and post it on Facebook. He won't make a mockery out of you. He will not laugh at you. He will take the dishes and start cleaning them. That's what kind of savior we have. And so inviting Jesus into the, into the house of your heart is important. But just know when Jesus comes in, he's busting down all the doors. And he's going to clean up the mess inside of the house. And so Martha invites Jesus to our home. And Jesus does something that he often does. He accepts the invitation. He accepts the invitation of Martha. And when Jesus and the boys come in, clearly Martha needs help. Martha cannot feed, like picture, 13 people, 13 men coming into your house that you have to feed. You will need help if it's just you. And so Martha picks up her phone and she FaceTimes Mary and says, I need help. 
I don't just got any guests coming to the house. I got Jesus coming to the house and his disciples. And so Mary comes over the house to help her sister, Martha, to serve Jesus. And when Mary gets there, you would think that Mary would be in the kitchen. You would think that Mary would be at the door taking coats and cloaks. And you would think that she would sit in the table. Look at the text and look what Mary is doing as she's in the house, supposedly helping her sister, Martha. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, before we say that Mary is lazy, she's supposed to be working, but she's actually sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. And before you say that she's lazy because she's sitting there listening to his teachings, Jesus doesn't rebuke her for what she's doing. Jesus accepts her sitting at his feet. Here's what's interesting about Mary of Bethany. This is not Jesus' mother, Mary. This is Mary of Bethany. Here is what's interesting about her. Every time we read about her in the scripture, she's always at the feet of Jesus. You can define, you can sum up her life in four words, at the Lord's feet, period. She's always there. Let me put some Bible there. In John chapter 11, uh, you see an interesting picture happening. So Mary has a sister. We know that through the text named Martha, but she also has a brother named Lazarus. Many of you know the story with Lazarus. Lazarus dies. Jesus comes and says, yo, get up, man. I don't know why you're still in that grave. Come on out. And Lazarus just pops up from the dead. But before Jesus raised him from the dead, Martha runs up to Jesus after Lazarus have dies. And look what she says in John chapter 11, verse 32. It says, now, when Mary came to where, G where Jesus was, she saw him. Watch what she does. She fell at his feet. And so a, a overwhelming grief led Mary to go to the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, I know how we do grief and hardship and hard times normally doesn't lead us to the feet of Jesus. It makes us go the opposite way of Jesus. We don't want to hear from Jesus, but overwhelming grief led Mary to the feet of Jesus. Now, I know you're like, listen, grief, I get it. Hard times, it might put me to the feet of Jesus, but joyous times, I'm not going to the feet of Jesus. Put more Bible there. The very next chapter of John chapter 12, Jesus is at a party again. And look at what it says in verse number three. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made with pure nard and anointed. Listen to me, the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And so after Lazarus was raised, you see Mary falling to the feet of Jesus to wipe his feet with her hair. So overwhelming grief led her to his feet. Joy led her to his feet. And in our text today, she's where she always is, at the feet of Jesus Christ. Our text tells us once again that that is where she is. And don't get it twisted. The being at the feet of Jesus for Mary was not an easy decision. We read the text without understanding what's really going on in the historical context. But being at the feet of Jesus I mean, this was this was this was was met with great resistance. The first resistance that she would have had at being at the feet of Jesus was family. Martha did not want her at the feet of Jesus. And Martha had very selfish reasons why she shouldn't be there. Why are you at the feet of Jesus when you should be in this kitchen cooking? Why are you at the feet of Jesus when I called you to come over and help me to prepare and serve this meal? 
Why are you there? And so the resistance that she first gets is family. I, I don't know how your family is, but some of you have been saved from other religions. Some of you have been saved from Islam. You know, there are certain religions that if you profess the name of Jesus Christ, the entire family will disown you. Here's what our text says. It doesn't matter if family disowns you. It doesn't matter if family gives you resistance. Nothing should get in your way of getting at the feet of Jesus Christ. So the first resistance that she has is the resistance of family. Martha didn't want her there. Here's the second resistance. It was cultural and religious resistance. During this time in, in this uh, ancient Near East, rabbis did not allow women to be disciples. And so being at the feet of Jesus, Jesus, the rabbi, being at his feet was her taking a position that the disciples typically took. Disciples sat at the feet of Jesus and learned from him. Mary culturally shouldn't have been there, but I love Mary. Here's why I love Mary. Family did not detour her from worshiping Jesus. Cultural didn't deem what is appropriate, how to worship Jesus. She didn't let anything get in her way of worshiping Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got to the place where we didn't allow anything to stop us from worshiping Jesus? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't allow family to stop us and what was deemed culturally right didn't stop us? But no, I just, I mean, you guys have been quiet this morning. I want to know, is there anybody in this room that says nothing will stop me from the feet of Jesus Christ? No family, no cultural resistance, no political affiliation. Nothing stops me from being at the feet of Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, we see Mary assuming a posture that all of us should take at the feet of Jesus. But don't just look at the posture of Mary. Also look at the purpose of Mary. Why is she at Jesus' feet? Well, the text is going to tell us why she's at his feet. Look back at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Here's why she's there. And listen to his teachings. Mary is supposed to be serving, but Mary's devotion to the word of God is demonstrated by her obedience to sit at the Lord's feet and not just sit there and just stare at him, but to sit there and absorb the teachings of Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room have been serving for a while. Maybe you're serving on some type of ministry in the church. Maybe you're serving in the community, but nothing got in her way. Not even her service for the Lord got in her way of being with the Lord. Amen. So many times our service, we become employees of Jesus yeah. instead of servants of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Instead of getting at his feet, we work for him. And a lot of times we do that because working for him doesn't allow him to get at the issues of my heart. But getting at his feet, he's going to get to the deep issues of your heart. And so the text is very clear. Mary deemed top priority to absorb the words of Jesus Christ. The question here is, is that your top priority? Is your top priority to allow the words of Jesus Christ to infiltrate the deep parts of your heart? Some of you in this room need to pump the brakes. I'm just, I'm clear. I'm not naive on this. Everybody didn't walk at this, in this room at the feet of Jesus. Some of you are still in the kitchen. Some of you are still trying to serve. When Jesus is like, I don't want the meal. I want you. I want you at my feet. And so pumping the brakes is a good thing. When I was a young boy, my first bike was a, was a mongoose one-speed bike. 
And this one, this one, you know, one speed mongoose bike that the ped, the way to break, the way to stop the bike was the pedals would go this way. You just had to tap them back a little bit. Y'all remember that? Well, my, my mother got fancy one Christmas and said, I'm going to get you, I'm going to upgrade you and give you a three speed bike. And the, I, I didn't know that the, the brakes moved from the pedals to the handlebars. And so one Christmas day, I said, man, I'm going to take this out in the neighborhood and give it a little spin. I'm riding around the neighborhood and I start flying down this hill. And as I'm flying down the hill, I realized I don't know how to stop this bike. And so I was trying to do it like I did the mongoose one speed and it wasn't working. Next thing I know, I kid you not, I ended up on the top of a parked Lincoln. I hit the car and just flipped over on it. Y'all remember those old Lincolns with the wood panels on the side? I did that wood panel all up. And so I ended up on the top of this car, and I learned a very valuable lesson that day. The lesson I learned is it, is it is detrimental that you know how to pump the brakes. Because if you do not pump the brakes, the results can be painful. And what's true on bikes is true in life as well, especially your spiritual walk with the Lord. If you do not learn how to pump the brakes, it can be painful for you. So Mary's at the feet. She's pumping the brakes here. She's learned how to stop, stop serving, stop running around, stop acting so spiritual and just get at the feet of Jesus Christ. But while Mary is serving, what is Martha doing? What is Martha doing while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus? Not just sitting, but absorbing his teachings. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, but Martha, watch this, was distracted with much serving. And so while Mary sat, Martha served. And it's so crazy because you would think that Martha is like you would think serving the Lord is a good thing. But the Bible tells us that she was distracted with much serving. Don't get it twisted. Martha wanted to be at the feet of Jesus, but she deemed her priorities were a little skewed. She deemed that the appropriate thing for her to do in this situation was to serve instead of just sitting at Jesus' feet. And as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he would have much rather fellowship over a meal. It's clear. He would have much rather her just sitting instead of serving. And the Bible tells us that she was distracted. In fact, her serving is defined in two different ways. Distracted, much serving. This word distracted here is an interesting one. In the original language, the New Testament is written in a language called Greek. And distracted literally means to be pulled away. She was pulled away from what she should be doing because she was serving. So she was distracted, but wasn't just distracted. She was distracted with much serving. That shows the intensity of what she was doing. Much, she wasn't just serving. The Bible saying much serving was showing that she had a big job. There was a lot on her plate. And she was deemed that she was, she deemed in her mind that she was going to get it all done. But that is not what Jesus wanted. Martha's attitude is a stern warning for you this morning. Martha's attitude shows us in our text this morning that your devotion to Jesus is so much important for than what you can do for Jesus. Martha's devotion to Jesus was secondary. What was primary was her work for Jesus. And I don't care how spiritual you are. All of us in this room are prone to spiritual distraction. I don't care if you've been saved for years. I don't care if you just got saved. I don't care if you have accountability. You got up this morning at 5 a.m. You had on your What Would Jesus Do t-shirt. You slept in it last night. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. You in this room, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are prone to spiritual distractions. So Martha is a warning for us this morning. What is the warning? 
Jesus doesn't just want your service. And we have great volunteers here. Hear me, volunteers. He doesn't just want your service. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you at his feet. He wants to dig into the messiness of your life. And some of you in this room, before I move on, some of you in this room aren't just distracted by serving Jesus. Some of you, I'm clear, even ones that are professing Jesus, you are in here, but you are distracted by the love of the world. You just are. This is, this is what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4 when he was talking to Timothy. He said, Demas has deserted me. And the Bible says, because he loved the world. He's gone to Thessalonica. He's left me. He's deserted the things of God simply because he was in love with the world. And so some of you are distracted serving. Some of you are distracted because you're too busy turning up. You're too busy doing your own thing, too busy trying to be in the world and try to act like the world and look like the world. Listen, I'm, listen, look like the world, but don't be in the world. Don't accept the same priorities as the world. And so the text tells us, listen, Martha in our text was distracted. But just to keep in context, Martha's not turning up in the text. She's not. Martha is not in the streets of Bethany looking for the clubs. Martha in our text is not in the marketplace building her own empire. Martha in the text is in the house with Jesus. What does that suggest to me? You can be in the house with Jesus and be distracted. And what do most of us do, right? We look at the world and we be like, ah, oh, they're not doing it. Blah, blah, blah. And we, we condemn and we pass judgment on the world when the reality is the person distracted in the text is a person that's in the house serving Jesus. Serving Jesus a meal, but she is distracted. And that may be some of you. Are you serving the Lord in the house with the Lord, professing to be a believer, looking like you're so spiritual, but you're spiritually distracted? Could Martha be you in the text? And so while cooking and cleaning for the Lord, Martha, the Bible tells us she's distracted. She became more enamored with the work of the Lord than actually the Lord of the work. That's where she's distracted at. So it's important for us to make sure that we're serving. But because let's be honest, Martha serving isn't a bad thing. I guarantee you, I can't guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus would have accepted her service if she had got at his feet first. I don't want to add conjuncture to the text, but if she had got at the feet of Jesus, served, listened to the words of Jesus and then served the meal, this text might be different. I'm not sure of it, but it just might be different. So to every volunteer in here, listen, don't serve at the capacity of your own spiritual growth. I would much rather you sit down and grow than serve and be immature. I would. I would be a bad pastor if I said, you're you're not growing, keep serving. No, the text doesn't say that. You're Martha in the text. You're running around the house with Jesus, but you're not focused on him. And so the question that we need to ask is, how can I tell? How do I know when I'm in the house with Jesus, but spiritually distracted? Martha's response will tell us how we can tell. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him talking about Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care? That my sister has left me alone. This is a rhetorical question. Here's why her asking, Lord, do you not care, is a rhetorical question. She knew, she deemed in her heart that the Lord didn't care. Why? Because he didn't say anything to Mary. Because he didn't say anything to Mary, in her mind, she had concluded that Jesus didn't care. 
And the first sign that you are distracted while serving in the house with Jesus is when you're asking questions like, Lord, do you really care? There was one time in the scriptures where Jesus got on the Sea of Galilee and he was crossing over the sea and a storm erupted. And Jesus was at the bottom of the boat. And the Bible says that the disciples were rowing hard trying to get to the shore. And as they're rowing, trying to get to the shore, they realized that they couldn't get there. The storm was too severe. And so they went down to the bottom of the boat and woke Jesus up. And they asked a similar question when they woke Jesus up. They said, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Despite the fact that they've spent time with Jesus and they saw Jesus do miracle after miracle, they could have said, Lord, can you tell this storm to calm down? But they were distracted by secondary things in the boat with Jesus distracted. They were distracted by the storm. They asked the very same question that Martha asked. Do you not care. First sign of distraction. When you're looking at the things of the world, the the hardships of life, and you're looking at the severity of the storm instead of looking at the Savior, it is a clear sign that you are, you might be spiritually distracted. And so let me answer this question. Does the Lord care? Of course he cares. We're going through the book of first Peter, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, and there's a verse in first Peter chapter five, verse seven, that Peter says, casting all your anxieties upon him. Because he cares for you. So to answer Martha's question and to answer the disciples' question, yes, Jesus cares. Of course he cares. Let's keep going. Verse number 40. Because Martha, what she does is her, 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 her concern that the Lord doesn't care moves from concern to blatant arrogance. Look at the text. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Here's arrogance. Tell her to help me. She's demanding Jesus Christ to tell Mary to get up off her off her knees, serving Jesus or listening to his teaching and help her in the kitchen. Another sign that you are spiritually distracted is when you start making demands of the Lord. You start demanding the Lord, this is what I want. This is the job I want. This is how, this is the school I want. This is the career I want. This is where I want to live. When you start demanding Jesus of those type of requests, what you can be sure of is that you're spiritually distracted. Get at the feet of Jesus. And those things will become clear. And so Christ rebukes Martha. But his rebuke to Martha, his rebuke wasn't a, 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 sharp, a sharp or a strong rebuke. His rebuke was tucked away in love. Let me show you why. Verse 40, 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Here's one of the things I noticed about the arrogance of this demand. Tell her to help me. Martha thought because she was serving, she thought that she was needed. She thought that Jesus needed her to serve. Here's the reality. Jesus doesn't need anybody to accomplish his mission. None of you. Listen, he doesn't need me, which is why I took off the last two weeks. (laughs) Serious. You think I'm kidding. I took off the last two weeks, sat down. Y'all saw me last week sit here, and Pastor Kenny preached a sound word, and it was a good reminder to me, you're not needed. Lord doesn't need you. And I'll say the same thing for you. I don't know how you serve. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do in this church or outside of this church. The Lord does not need you. Here's the arrogant position to take. To think that whatever you're involved in will crumble if you're not a part of it. It's an 
If I stop being the pastor of Epiphany Church tomorrow, Epiphany Church will be just fine. Why? Because it's not built on me. Matthew 16, I'll build my church. This is Jesus' church. I ain't worried about this church. This is Jesus' church. And so the arrogance in the text is one that we should not, we should not take that spiritual disposition. The Lord needs me. He doesn't need you. So Jesus answers her. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious. And you're troubled about many things. Him saying Martha, Martha is, is laced with love. This is, this is not a sharp rebuke. This is a loving correction. Whenever Jesus uses or whenever the text uses uh, someone's name twice, it's a loving correction. He's not saying woe to you. He's not, like, he's not pronouncing judgment on her. This is a loving correction. He's trying to get her priorities back in place. And he says, listen, you're anxious and you're troubled. This is one thing to be anxious it's equally bad to be troubled. It's a whole nother thing when you're anxious and troubled. And the text tells us that Martha, Jesus deemed that she was anxious and she was troubled, not just about some things, not a few things. She was anxious and troubled about many things. Did you see the text? Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things. So Jesus, listen, he, he's like, listen, you, some, some commentators, when I was reading some, comment, uh, some commentaries on this, it was saying that Jesus is rebuking her for making such an elaborate meal. Like, like the, the commentators deemed that the meal was too much. It should have just been more simple. But the text doesn't lead to that. What the text is showing us is that, that Jesus is rebuking her, not for the extravagant meal that she cooked, but he's rebuking her for her spiritual disposition. That you're serving when you should be here listening to my words listening to what I'm saying because remember Jesus says my words have life you should be sitting at my feet listening but your spiritual disposition is all over the place look at what verse 42 says I'm going to finish up here verse 41 41 it says but the Lord answered her Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen a good portion which will not be taken away from her what is the good portion that this text is talking about? The good portion that Mary chose was to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. That is the priority of the, the text, that, and that should be the priority of our life. The priority of your life is Jesus' words trumps everything. There's nothing in life that Jesus' words come secondary to. Here's how Luke chapter 11, verse 28 will say it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God, and then it goes on to say, and keep it. Because it's one thing to hear the word of God. It's another thing to obey the word of God. Because you can be in here and hear it, take notes, walk out and do nothing. Or you can spiritually grow by hearing, taking notes and walking out and trying to apply. Asking people to hold you accountable for how you apply the word of God. And so Martha is distracted. Mary's at the feet of Jesus. She understands the importance of this moment, the importance of the moment is being at the feet of Jesus and hearing the words of Jesus. This is why Sunday mornings are a priority for me. I don't know if it's a priority for you, but Sunday mornings are a priority for me because it gives us an opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus can be found right in the pages of your Bible. And what I love about most of our Bibles is Jesus' words is marked in red. You ain't got to search hard to find the words of Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us that Mary's at the feet of Jesus and Mary getting at the, how did Mary get it? 
and Martha missed it. How did that happen? Here's how. It's so simple. I wish I had something deeper. I have nothing else deeper than this. Mary simply chose it. Like she did, like she exemplified spiritual discipline instead and said, instead of serving, I'm going to sit. She made a choice. And some of you in this room, the deepest thing you could do this week is to make a choice to be devoted to Jesus Christ. It's the deepest thing you could do. Make the choice. And so she made the choice and the choice she made to get at the feet of Jesus and the choice that you and I in this room should make to get at the feet of Jesus should be based on the fact of what Jesus has done for you. Like consider what Jesus has done for you. Jesus 2000 years ago goes on a cross. First of all, he's sitting in heaven being worshiped by all of heaven. And he looks down and sees the dysfunction of creation. Sees that everything in creation is out of whack because of Adam's sin. That's what the Bible says. Because of the sin of one man, death entered into the world. And so everything was going chaotic. Jesus in heaven being worshipped. Angels are flying around just saying, holy, holy, holy. He decided, this is crazy, decided to get off the cross. I mean, get off his throne, come down, breathe air, listen to me, that he created. He decided to go on a cross and be nailed to wood that he created. He decided to be slapped with the hand that he formed. And he did it for you. He did it because of the sin. Like, get the sin on your mind that you committed this week. He went to a cross because of that sin. And when he goes to the cross, he, he 100% absorbs the wrath of God that was due to you. And now you get to stand before the Lord based on Jesus' 33 years of perfection. That is why I get to the feet of Jesus Christ. I get to the feet of Jesus Christ because he has conquered my sin. And he has given me his righteousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you in this room lack devotion to Jesus Christ because you are spiritually distracted. It's just, I mean, it's that simple. You're distracted with the things of God and you're distracted with the love of the world. And some of you this morning need to do business with the Lord. You need to repent of being distracted. Your priorities are all over the place. And typically what happens with our priorities is we try to justify it by saying, but these are good things I'm doing. I'm going back to school. I'm doing this. And, you know, I just got a promotion. Like we have good things in our life. And I'm not saying neglect all of that. I'm saying make it secondary. Why? Because primary in the text is what Mary is doing. Father, this morning, I'm going to pray for every single person that's in this room. I'm not naive to think that everybody in this room came in spiritually mature at the feet of Jesus. I know that some people came into this room beat up. Some people came in this room with their priorities all over the place. And so, Father, would you lovingly correct us like you corrected Martha in the text? You didn't cast her out of the house. You didn't pronounce judgment on her. You simply corrected her priorities. And Father, all of us in this room need your correction. We need you to show us what we should be doing and what we shouldn't. Too many of us in this room, Lord, are Martha. We are. Some of the dudes in this room, some of the brothers in this room are Martha. Some of the ladies in this room are serving in the kitchen and not at your feet. So Father, would you help us to prioritize Help us to deem that the most important thing
It's not just to sit at your feet, but sit at your feet and hear your words. The Bible tells us in James, not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the word. Help us to listen and go out and do. Lord, you have proven and shown us why you are worthy for us to get at your feet. The cross is the greatest example of that. And Lord, would you help us today restore to us the joy of sitting at your feet? Some of us started there, but the cares of life and the worries of life have moved us on from sitting at your feet to getting back in the kitchen. And so Father, I, would, I pray that you would help us to view our service as one that is birthed. Like the, the greatest volunteers that we could have in this church are volunteers that are satisfied in Jesus. So Father, would you correct us and would you convict us this morning? It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.